Isaiah chapter 6, and the title of my message is, um, the title of my message is, An Amazing Experience with God. I want you to all say the title with me on the count of three. One, two, three. An Amazing Experience with God. Shaken, shattered, saved, and surrendered. You know, what, what I really want you to do every time you come into the church is I want you to have an experience with God. And I pray every week that when people come to our church, they don't come and they say, wow, the music was amazing, or wow, the children's program was great, or wow, the preacher was incredibly handsome. As true as all those things might be, <laughs> I want people leaving here saying th that I met God there. I don't, I don't know what it was. I met God there. Can I get a good amen? Because it really doesn't matter about all the other things if you don't meet with God in this building. It really doesn't matter how cool we are if you, don't, if you don't have an experience with God. How many know there's many churches that held on to their style and their flavor and their money and their buildings and their, and their notoriety in the town and stopped worrying about whether or not people were meeting with God because they saw how important they had become in the community and because they stopped caring about people meeting God, God withdrew His Holy Spirit from the work in that church. I never want us to be that kind of a church. I want us to be the kind of church that every time we gather, you never know. It might be your week where God totally rocks your world, changes your life, renews your mind, touches your heart, fixes your marriage, brings your kid out of whatever they're into, and changes your life and alters the trajectory of your future to the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. You never know when it might be your week. And so I want you to come into this place, not just coming to church, not just getting church in before the Patriots game so that, that Tom Brady has a good game because you came and prayed on Sunday morning, but that you came to church and said, man, I want God. I want God. I want to meet him. I want to experience him. And that's what happens in Isaiah chapter 6. Now this verse, this passage that we're going to read has a very special relevance to our church and what we're doing today starting these two campuses. Some of you might remember this, I, although I doubt it. But um, it was about 18 months ago, I preached this very same message, it's slightly altered, but I preached this message to our church on a Wednesday night, and God, we had an amazing experience with God that night. Some of you were there, you remember this. And that's why I say, you never know, when you show up, what could God do in your heart? And people came forward to the altar, and we prayed, we came forward to this area right here, we prayed over people. And God started to birth the seeds of starting campuses in our church in the hearts of two men, Jim and Steve, who are our campus pastors now, and their key team leaders said to them, it was because of what God did on that night that I'm going with you, and I'm not, I'm not even worried about staying in a brand new building. I'm not worried about how big our church is getting in North Attleboro. I know that God has called us to go out to get uncomfortable and to work for the kingdom to spread the gospel. It was because of what happened that special night. So this message is very um, near and dear to my heart for this weekend because this passage actually started the whole process by which we are where we are today. Does that, does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me on that? All right, that's, I just think that was cool. So Isaiah chapter 6, if you would, stand with me, and we're going to read this passage together and look at a man who has an amazing experience with God. Here's what it says in the, in the verse, first verse of chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are angelic beings. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations, somebody say foundations. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tong, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The last verse we're going to read, here it is. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Let me pause right here. That was the line that Jim and Steve heard. That night, Wednesday night, so many months ago. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I pray, God, that we will see Jesus in him only. I pray, Father, that we will have an experience with you in this moment. My God. We welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, fill your people. Touch our hearts and our minds. Deep into this, the depths of our soul, we want to have you take up residence, authority, kingship. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. And everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Every time you gather in church, you should be experiencing, you should expect, you should hope for, you should long for an amazing experience with God. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And our prayer for you is that every time you gather in this place, you have that. You have an amazing experience with God. That you walk out the doors of the church and say, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad that I was there. I really needed that today. Sometimes it's a little thing. Sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's a life-altering thing. It's different every time. But we want you to have an experience with God. And I think about how, how many times you might run into somebody and, and you have a conversation with them outside of church after you've been to church on the weekend. And, you say, and they say to you, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you say, I went to church. And they say, oh. And then you're like, no, 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 it's a really cool church. And just like slightly more excited, oh. Right? Like, we shouldn't have that. That should not be the mantra of our area. And I know it's New England. I know it's New England. I know it's the area where in the, in the United States of America, this is the least church, least Christian area in the country. That's why we're planting churches. That's why we're sending people out of this building because New England needs Jesus. Right? And I, and I know, like, that's in New England, is like the least, you know... <laughs> The, the, the least expected place where you would have a good time on the weekend, it seems to be church. But I think we need to change that. I don't think that's the reality of our church. Can I get a good amen? 
I don't think that this church is at all boring. I think it's exciting. I think that we have a great time with God every week. And I think we need to change the trajectory, change the spirit of New England in this area, where, where, whereby uh, 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 Gillette Stadium and TD Bank Garden, whatever that thing is, and Fenway Park or, or the Wang Theater or whatever doesn't have the, the, the monopoly on people getting excited about their God. And yes, I mean God. But we change the trajectory of New England and the atmosphere of this country and this area by having the greatest, the lion's share of praise, the lion's share of excitement, the lion's share of, of passion in the church that bears the name of Jesus Christ. Let's put them to shame. Come on, somebody. Let's put them to shame. And it's not just about getting excited about church. It's getting excited because you've met with God. Getting excited about the fact that he's talking to you. And what I love about the Bible is that there is no shortage of moments like this in Isaiah chapter 6. I love it. People meeting with their God. Changing the world. I want you to think about how we are here 2,800 years later talking about Isaiah's experience with God at church one day. You ever think about that? Like, would anybody possibly be talking about what happens to you today 2,800 years from now? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? And here we are talking about Isaiah. This is 2,800 years ago. We're still talking about the guy. And what happened? That's the power of an experience with God. It changes your life, and it changes the lives of countless other people. And what happens to Isaiah is he's shaken, he's shattered, he's saved, and he's surrendered. And I want that for you. And I want it to repeatedly happen in your life. The Bible opens this passage by saying, in the year King Uzziah died. Well, who was King Uzziah? King Uzziah was the longest serving, probably most successful king in Israel's history. Uh, he he kind of reinvigorated the nation. He made Israel great again. <laughs> Had the little red hat and everything. <laughs> and uh, he... <laughs> he set up this country to succeed like it hadn't succeeded in years since the, times, since the times of Solomon. He was a righteous king. He honored God. He worshiped God. God helped him and empowered him and blessed him. Here, here's what it says. Let me just show you what it says in, uh, in the, uh, the, the Chronicler's account, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 15. It's going to be up on the screen. And it says, in Jerusalem, he, King Uzziah, made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers, the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Uzziah was marvelously helped by God because he honored God and he blessed God and he worshiped God and he put God first in his life and God blessed his life. And the same is true for every one of you. You put God first, he'll bless your life. He'll empower your life. But look what happens, the very next verse. But when he was strong, he grew, everybody say the word. Proud. Fill in the blanks. Pride cometh before a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18, right? That's one of those verses that you have to say in the old King James. You know what I'm talking about? You got to say that pride cometh <laughs> before a fall. And here's what happens, exactly that. 
He grew proud to his own destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense at the altar of incense. Now they say, listen, that's not a big deal. He didn't sleep with anybody's wife. He didn't murder anybody. No, no, no. Here's what he did. He usurped the role of God in the nation. See, he was king, and he went into the temple where God dwelt. And here's what happened. He decided he was going to reign in the place of God. He was going to rule where God resided. And the moment he did that, the Bible says that the priests came into the temple and they said, Uzziah, this is not your place to reign. This is God's place. This is the temple of God. You don't have the right to do this. And he ignored them because he had been successful. How many know you can get so successful that you stop listening to other people? Oh, that was preaching right there. That was preaching. I know you couldn't say amen to that because that was right there. I know that. But you got to listen to me, New England. Maybe this is our problem, New Englanders. Maybe this is our problem. We got so smart. We got Harvard. We got Prince. We got, we got Dartmouth. We got all these MIT, all these schools. We got all this knowledge. We got all this wisdom. We got all this success that we get so smart, we actually outsmart ourselves from trusting in God. And God speaks to us and we don't listen because, oh, we've got a degree. No, 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 no. God doesn't care about your degree. God cares about a heart that is submitted to his purposes and his will. God cares about a man who will honor him even if he doesn't got smarts. Because God can take the wisdom of this world and turn it into nonsense in a heartbeat. When you come to church, the best thing you can do is come with a heart ready to receive. What does God have to say to me, even if I don't like it, even if I don't want to hear it, even if the pastor says it in a way I don't want to hear it that way, I wish he would stop yelling, come on, let me just hear it softly. No, listen to what God says, do what he has told you to do, and watch it go well with you. And he wouldn't listen, this guy. He wouldn't listen. And he's like, no, I'm the king. I'll do what I want. Look at my resume. It's obvious I have the right to do as I please. And immediately leprosy broke out on his forehead. Immediately. And he was cordoned off from the temple. And they brought him out. They ushered him out. They all freak out. They're like, oh, my gosh. They get him out. And they put him in a home. And this once great proud king, let's look at the last verse. Verse 21 of the same chapter in 2 Chronicles 26. It says that he lived, oh, it's not up on the screen. It says that he lived alone in a house until the day of his death as a leper. And this Bible says that Isaiah has a meeting with God in the year King Uzziah died. I want you to, I only build this up because I want you to see what happens for Isaiah. See, Isaiah wasn't just the prophet of God. Isaiah was also Uzziah's uncle. So this is his nephew, who he watched grow up into a man, grow up into a great king, grow up and become powerful, and then immediately, precipitously fall to his impending death. And when Israel's hope was lost, Isaiah meets with God. You know what I love about God? He shows up in our lives when things we were hoping in and trusting in check out on our lives. When everybody else walks out, God steps in. Come on, somebody. When everybody else lets us down, God steps up his game. And here's the first thing that happens to you when you have a true experience with God. I want you to write down the notes. I want you to fill in the blanks. When we truly experience God, number one, our foundations 
are shaken. What do you mean by foundations? Well, in Isaiah's world here, it says the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook at the voice of him who called. God's calling shook Isaiah's foundations. For Isaiah, the temple was his hope. For Isaiah, the temple was what he trusted in. For Isaiah, the temple was, this is the sign that we are a good nation. And I want you to notice this. When God called to Isaiah, what Isaiah was trusting in started to shake. And let me say something to 21st century Americans. When God starts to call you, he's going to start shaking up some things that you're trusting in outside of himself. See, some of you know this because you never would have come to church if your marriage hadn't suddenly become rotten. Some of you came to church because mom died. Some of you came to church because your child came down with an illness. Some of you came to church because your child turned into a teenager and suddenly figured out that he thought he was smarter than you. Some of you are in church today because the girlfriend left you. The boyfriend dumped you. Or the guy won't marry you. And you're coming to church thinking, if I do my little incense offering in this place, then God will give me what I really need to get out of this jam that I'm in. And it's not about that. He, wants, he, he allowed that thing to happen. He allowed that person to leave. He allowed that sickness to come. He allowed that terrible happening to happen in your life so that you would lift up your eyes and get your hope off of whatever it is that you were hoping in outside of God and put your hope on Christ, the solid rock that never moves and never falters and never lets you down. He shakes up. He shakes up your foundation. How many baptism testimonies do we have to hear of people who say, well, it was because such and such happened, and then I didn't know what to do when I came to church, and I never would have come if I hadn't had that happen, but thank God, and on and on and on and on it goes. What I'm saying is God has a way of shaking you awake so that you meet with him. See, Isaiah thought Uzziah was the king, right? And when Isaiah's king started to reign, tried to reign, listen to this, in the temple, in the place where God lived, he was taken out of the way. You know what the Bible calls this? We allow, this is what we do. This is how we are like Isaiah in a way. We allow something to reign in the place of God. What is it for you, I wonder? It can be anything. We, a great theologian once said, our, our hearts are idol-making factories. What I mean by that is we are always looking to something other than God to give us what only God can give us. Satisfaction, pleasure, happiness. I want to be happy. I want to be I know that they're not saved, but I want to marry them because I want to be happy. And then you have children and they don't want them to go to church and you want them to go to church and you wonder why the heck did I do this to myself because you wanted to be happy in something other than the one who can make you eternally happy. My Bible tells me rejoice in the Lord always, not rejoice in a spouse always. 
You say, my marriage is not making me happy. Join the club, friend. <laughs> you, you, what, 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 you thought it was going to be a Jennifer Aniston movie for the rest of your life? <laughs> you ever notice how those romantic comedies end with the people getting married? Or now it's just choosing to live together? <laughs> and they never show you what happens afterwards? There's like one, there's like one movie. It is a Jennifer Aniston movie. It's the breakup when they show you what happens after the couple gets together and it's miserable. And it's like Hollywood even knows this. Hollywood even knows this. We've been selling people false idols. Find the one, find the one. Oh, where's the one, the one, the one. Oh. And find the one and you'll be happy and you guys have bought it. Some of you young people, you're buying into this. This is why you won't get married because you are waiting for the perfect one. Grow up. You are going to marry a sinner. You're going to marry somebody that looks ugly and smells terrible in the morning. That's called a human. You are not marrying pixels. You are marrying a person. How did I get on this? Oh. God shakes up our foundation. Whatever we're hoping in, whatever we're saying, I really think that this will make me happy. And God shakes it up. He shakes it up so that you get your eyes off of that thing that's an idol in your heart that is not your source. So you're, like, you're, you're, you're thinking about the, the girlfriend you have, the boyfriend you have, the dating, the sexual life that you have together, and you can't imagine living without them. I'll tell you what you've just found. You found an idol, and sometimes God will take away the idol, and you'll have to try to learn how to live without what you thought you couldn't live without so that you can find your way back to God in whom you live and have your being. Our foundations are shaken. Some of, us, uh, some of us, it's our money, it's our income, it's our status, it's our lifestyle, it's what we, the house that we live, and, and God shakes the foundations so that we get our eyes off of that. That's temporary. That's not your, who you are. That's not what makes you you. You are not valuable because of the house you live in. You are not valuable because of the number of Facebook likes you get. You are not valuable because of how people perceive you at your job. You are valuable because 2,000 years ago, your father in heaven sent his son to shed his blood on a criminal's cross for your soul. He loved you that much. Put your hope in that. Put your love in that. Sink your life into the work of Jesus Christ, and I guarantee you, he'll free you from chasing after all the false idols everybody else is chasing after. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the what? The what, everybody? The temple. In other words, God was saying, Uzziah doesn't reign here, I reign here. Get your, get your eyes, Isaiah, off of a person and put your eyes on me. This is how we meet with God. Number two, if you're taking notes. When we truly experience God, our self-righteousness is shattered. How many know people are self-righteous? <laughs> see, see it's, hard, hard, it's hard for us to say amen to that because we're talking about ourselves. And Isaiah said, once he met the Lord, look at this, verse 5, woe is who? Me. Somebody say that with me, one, two, three, woe is me. It's hard to say woe is me. Do you know why? Because I like to say, woe is thee. That's another King Jamesism. <laughs> woe is ye. What's amazing about this woe in verse 5 of chapter 6 in Isaiah is that it's the seventh woe. Check this out. It's the seventh woe that Isaiah proclaims in the book of Isaiah. 
The previous six were in the previous chapter before he met with God. And guess what? All six of those woes from Isaiah's lips are aimed at other people. I want to bring them through for you. I want to bring you through them, okay? Let's look at them one at a time. They're in your notes right there. Verse 5, I'm sorry, uh, Isaiah 5, 8. Woe to those who join house to house and add field to field. That's, that's Isaiah saying, you know what the problem is with this country? You know what the problem is with this country? It's those greedy people with all their homes and all their fields all lined up together. And he says in verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink. You know what the problem is with this country? Substance abusers. Shame on you. Sub- woe is the substance abuser. And then he gets on verse 18, he says, those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. It's the liars, the liars of this country. That's the problem with this country. Or verse 20, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what, that's America right now. Whatever God says is evil, whatever we say is right. And that's what God, woe to America, shame on the way that this world is. And then the next verse, 21, he says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. That's just the proud and the haughty and the, and the self-righteous. Woe to those people, woe to those people. And Isaiah is just getting on a roll here, right? Verse 22, he says, Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. And Isaiah is just, Woe! 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 To all you people! <laughs> How many know it's fun to woe someone? I love woeing. In my family, I woe everybody in my family. It's never my fault, it's their fault. Woe to you children asking me for money. Woe to you. <laughs> right? Woe to you, wife, won't do what I want when I want it. Woe to you, woe. <laughs> Come on, we do it. It's so natural to. What happened this past week, America? What happened? Hmm? Shall we talk about this? Can we be a family for a moment? All right? Woe to you, NFLers. Woe to you for kneeling. Woe, woe. I always stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. But then the other people on the other side are saying, woe to you who don't understand how we experience America. Woe to you who don't get it because you've been inculcated by your own ethnicity for so long you have no clue. Back and forth, whoa, 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 everybody woeing one another, that's America right now. That's Facebook, right? Log on to Facebook and just ask the question, what should I be outraged by today? Enter. <laughs> that's what you're doing when you're logging in. That's what you're doing. Outrage nation, somebody should be getting my woe. Who's the lucky person today? <laughs> How many know this is never going to stop until we meet with God? Amen. Isaiah had all kinds of woes for everybody else. And then he saw the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The train of his robe filled the temple. The smoke, the threshold shaking. And I saw God. And I met the Lord and I saw what he's really like. And I only had one woe in my heart from that moment on. And it was this, woe is me. Shame on me. What's going to change the culture of our country? What's going to stop all this hating on everybody else? Some people want to say it's going to be a conversation. 
But I've seen conversations. I've seen conversations on Fox News and CNN. They don't go so well, do they? Some of us is more understanding, but I don't know how we can possibly understand each other. Sometimes we can't. It's really impossible to understand someone. It really is. Some of us say, we need the right politicians. We need more laws. We need more procedures. We need more policies. All these kind of things. All these man-made No, 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 no. Here's what's going to change. When people have a personal experience with a holy God who shows them that the problem is not everybody else in their life. The problem is not the people that you want to blame. The problem is here. You got a problem in you. I got a problem in me. And I'll never see it. I'll never see it. I'll constantly find ways to blame you for my problems until I meet with Jesus and he shows me the problem is right here in my heart and I need my Father in heaven to save me from myself. Woe is me. And, and Isaiah, just he just bursts out into confession. I'm lost. Look at this. The, the, the prophet, the prophet is saying, I'm lost. I'm undone. I'm a sinful man. He confesses his sin. I want you to write this down in your notes. This is so important for you to get. God does not use great thinkers or, good doer, or do-gooders. God uses great confessors. God's greatest people in the Bible were all great confessors of their own stinking sin. When Peter met Jesus, it was on the backside of an all-night fishing expedition in which he caught nothing. And Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. And Peter argued for a moment. He said, we've been fishing all night. We are fishermen, you are a carpenter. Keep to your own business, we'll keep to ours. No, he didn't say that. He said, okay, Lord, because you say so. And he let down the nets, and he caught a huge fish catch, a huge catch of fish. And he came running out to Jesus and fell at his feet and said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, a great confessor. John the Revelator in John chapter, in Revelation chapter 1, it says that he turned around and he saw Jesus and the eyes were like flames of fire and he was shimmering white and he had a sword in his hand and his feet were on fire. I mean, this is the appearance of Jesus in his glory and the Bible says John the Revelator, John the Apostle, he falls at his feet as though dead because he knows how holy God is. Isaiah here says, I was looking at myself in comparison to God, and I knew I needed to change. God uses people who confess their own sin, not point their fingers at everybody else's sin. And, 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 and some of us don't want to do this because it takes the pride out. It takes our, our, our own sense of self out. But we got to do it. This is the only way to get right with God. This is the only way. Because what happens immediately, as soon as, we, as soon as we confess our sins, this is what's great about God. He forgives our sins. As soon as we confess, He forgives. Which brings me to number three. When we truly experience God, our souls are saved. Somebody say souls. Our souls are saved. So Isaiah confesses, and God immediately sends the angel. And he flies to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. In other words, the moment you confess your sins to God, he takes your sins and washes them away immediately. 
And please, please, please listen to me. I put our souls are saved because I don't want you walking out of here saying, you're right, pastor, I need to stop judging everybody. No, 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 that's just another works righteousness game plan for you to try to prove that you're good enough for God. You're not good enough for God. You need to confess and let him heal the deepest part of your being. The deep part, the soul. Notice that the tongs of, notice that the fiery coal touches Isaiah's what? Lips. And I thought, why the mouth? Why the lips? So I have two points, and they're both biblical. Number one, because the mouth represents our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? Speaks. Whenever you say, well, I didn't really mean it. Yes, you did. Out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You say, Pastor, I don't like hearing that because it makes me feel bad about myself. Don't feel bad about yourself. Feel bad about the condition of your heart. I got it too. I can't tell you how many times I said, oh, did that really come out of me? And, and I, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm ashamed. It's, it's testifying. What comes out of my mouth is testifying. There's something deep inside of me that's rotten. And, and even nature teaches us this, doesn't Nature teaches us this, right? Because think about this. Every morning you wake up, what do you have in your mouth? The seventh circle of hell, friends. That's the answer. The seventh circle of hell. This is why, you know, those movies, again, where you see them kissing each other in the morning, right? After spending the night together. That's a lie. That's a lie. What you have in the morning is, get away from me, you smell. That's what you have. Because you have morning breath. I have morning breath. Everybody has morning breath. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is so crazy. You can, you can, you can brush, floss, Listerine, brush again, Listerine, brush, Listerine, 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 like 17 times. Go to bed. Wake up three hours late. just takes about three hours. Guess what happened? Morning breath again. And you say, I thought I took care of this last night. It doesn't stop. No, and here's what I thought about. No matter what you try to do to clean up your act, it never truly lasts. This is why New Year's resolutions fail every single year. This is why when you say, I'm going to do better. This is going to be, this is my week. I'm going to change. I'm going to change this week. And you fall on your face by Monday afternoon. Because you're testifying to yourself that your heart is bad. Your heart is bad. The problem is not what you're doing. The problem is who you're being. You need God to touch the deepest heart, the deepest part of your being. And here's what I thought. You need something more than a natural process to change your mouth from stinking in the morning. That's testifying to the fact that there's something that you need more than a natural process to change your heart. The only person that can change your heart is the one who gave you your heart and can save your heart, Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the only one that can change your heart. You need his change in here. Jesus said, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. You see what we're trying to always do as Americans? We're always trying to change the, the fruit. But it doesn't matter how much you do to change the fruit if the root is bad. The fruit going to be bad. No matter what you do, God changed the root. God, I confess I need my heart to change. And then number two, I thought about this, the mouth represents intimacy. Intimacy. 
When I had my children, I, I, I tell you this honestly, I have three children. Every single time I had one of those babies in my hands, I could not stop kissing them. Anybody like that? Like any parents like that? I just loved, I just would smother them. And I would nuzzle inside there like right here. Like that was my favorite. And they were like, ha, 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 ha. I just loved to just get them all riled up. And now with the beard too, like Jake's still young enough. The older two would be weird. But you know, the, Jake's still young enough. And I, I just, and I get the beard in there. He's just laughing. It's just, I want him to know that dad is here. And as, and as awful as we can sometimes be, I want you to hear this, friends. Your awfulness does not preclude God's nearness. He comes near your mess. If you confess, he comes near. If you confess, he'll come. And I want to ask, do you have a nearness with God? I want to talk about that with somebody here. To, do you have a nearness with God that you feel his kisses on your life? He's there with you in the mess, when you're, when you're a mess, when you don't feel like you're a good person and you confess it to God. I want, you to, I want to tell you something. The moment you confess, he comes near. I'm here. I love you. I love you. Don't you want that from God? I just want, I want God's love like that. How do I get it? I confess. Number four, when we truly experience God, finally our lives are surrendered. Our souls are saved. Our lives are surrendered. And the two got to go hand in hand. The two got to go hand in hand. You can't be saved and not surrendered. Did did you hear what I just said? Because that's a very important point right there. You can't be saved and not surrendered. Our lives are surrendered to his authority. Isaiah says, listen to this very carefully. Isaiah sees God. He feels God, and then he hears God. He sees God, he feels God, and then he hears God. And that's the process for you. You see God, you you, you, you feel God, and then the question is, will you listen when you hear God? Because listen to me very carefully, Waters Church people. It is very possible for you to come into this building and feel lifted up and leave unsurrendered. It is very possible to come and do the religious ritual, go through the Christian motions, and say, that was a good message, I'm glad I went to church today, but you leave and you have yet to surrender your life to the purposes of God. Isaiah says, the voice, Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Send me where? Send me where you want me to go. Where, where is it? Just send me. Just send me. There's no, send me to the people that I like. Se- no, send me to the area that I want to go to. Send me to the, the place where there's a beach nearby because I really like the sun and I like laying. No, just send me. You know what that's called, friend? Surrender. I got the definition there on your notes. Here's what surrender means. Surrender means to cease resistance. Please listen to this. To cease resistance to an enemy opponent and submit to their authority. The God, when I, when I was praying about this, God told me to tell some of you, listen, 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 because this is going to save your life. 
There are some of you here, you come to church and you go through the religious ritual, but you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. And you can't be saved and not surrendered. You can't be saved and not surrendered. And what I mean by that is, you come to church when it feels good, or you come to church when you feel like it, you're feeling it, or, you know, you, do, you come to church, but then you do your sex life on your terms, or you come to church and you do money on your terms, you come to church and you do relationships the way you think they should be done, guess what that is? That's an unsurrendered life. That's an unsurrendered life. You're resisting the Lord in your life. And you can't be saved and unsurrendered. You've got to surrender. You've got to surrender. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But what I'm talking about is that we get to the point where we say to God, listen, we've got to get to this point where we can say to God, God, have your way with my life. I'm done being Lord. I'm done being in charge. I'm done calling the shots. You made me. You formed me. You love me. You purchased me. You own me. If there's something that I've seen in most American Christians is they love the idea of God loving them. They love the idea of God forming them. They love the idea of God thinking they're special and one of a kind because that, you know, you can learn that in the public school system, people. You can learn that anywhere. But they don't like that idea, God, you own me. I'm yours. And for some of you, you need to hear this because you're not surrendered yet. It's like your car, like when your car breaks down, where do you bring your car? You can bring your car to the chop shop down over here, or the guy, the guy that kind of knows your car, or you can bring your car to the manufacturer. And how many know the worst thing you do is work on your car yourself? That's my problem. <laughs> but here's what I do. I am smart enough to know I'll mess it up. They know it. They made it. They own it. They fix it. They, they understand it. And you give your car to that manufacturer, and it comes back, and it's fixed. The same is true with your life. You give your life to the manufacturer, friends. Listen to me. It comes back fixed. It comes back operating the way it's supposed to operate. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ.